Okay, so we're going back to, uh, to genetics a little bit. Uh, we talked about DNA and DNA replication. Those are the two basic things that we did. And what is the mechanism of DNA replication? What do we call it? Anybody? semi-conservative process, meaning that the original molecule splits and each of those halves becomes part of one of the new molecules. It's conserved in the new molecule. Okay? Uh, and so it's semi-conservative process. We simply split down the middle and we use each half as a template. In those videos where we saw them zipping through the, the, the enzyme, what, they, what the enzyme was doing is looking at, at each base as it came through. It's an A, I'm going to put a T. If it's a G, I put a C. If it's a C, I put a G. If it's another A, I put another T. And it's just putting them in like that. Okay, It's matching. Now, uh, errors can occasionally be made, but they're quite rare. Uh, first of all, you have the, the matching of the bases. Occasionally, the wrong base gets jammed in there. But the enzyme, after it puts a base in, it double checks before it moves on. And so, uh, generally, and it, if it's the wrong one, if it doesn't fit right, it'll remove it and try again. And so that eliminates many of the possible errors, which could lead to, obviously, our mutations. Mutations are just changes to the DNA. So uh, that eliminates a lot of that. But overall, the process is really pretty, pretty effective. And we, we do make errors periodically. Uh, that's, that's where new genes ultimately come from. How evolution works. All right. So we talk about genotype and phenotype. Okay, genotype is the gene you have. Phenotype is the physical characteristic. So if you have uh, uh, two alleles for type O blood uh, that you inherited, one from each of your parents, then you're, you end up with type O blood. That's your phenotype. The genotype are the two alleles that you have that determine that it's going to be type O. Uh, and, of course, then there's A and B and so on, which we'll get into right now. Uh, NRH positive and RH negative, and actually they're somewhere on the order of 20, 30 different blood type things, uh, most of which are not met medically significant, so we don't talk about them generally. Okay, now, we, the, in genetics, what we are really dealing with is the transfer of genetic information and storage of genetic information. So when we look at the DNA and its replication, what we're looking at there is the, how do we store all the genetic information. And it's stored in the chromosome. You know, okay, for a bacterium, it's in its little circular chromosome, or actually really large circular chromosome. That's where the information is stored. Now, then the and, and of course it passes it from generation to generation, so there is some uh, of the transfer there at that level. But the other part of it is that having all that information and transferring it to the next generation is of absolutely no use if you're not using it for something. It has to be used, and so there's going to be a transfer of information from the DNA to the ribosomes. Remember those, it's where protein synthesis occurs. And to do that, we have to do two processes that we're going to talk about tonight. Now, the first one is transcription. And this is when you take information on the DNA 
and you copy it to another molecule, which in our case is going to be messenger RNA. Okay, so all you're doing is taking your gene, usually it's done one to maybe three or four genes at a time, depending. In prokaryotes, you can do multiple genes at a time. In eukaryotes, it's usually one at a time. Uh, but we copy that information uh, to messenger RNA. We'll look at that messenger RNA here. And then that messenger RNA can, can leave the nucleoid or nucleus, in the case of uh, uh, eukaryotic organisms, and travel through the cytoplasm to where the ribosomes are. Okay? All right, that's great. I've copied the information, but the information is still in the language of nucleic acids. It's with RNA now, it's A's use C's and G's because RNA doesn't use thymine. It uses uracil in place of that. But it's still in that code, okay? Um, and it has to be translated before it can mean anything. What we, what we want to do is take that and find out what amino acid do I put first? Which one goes second? Which one goes third? Which one goes, or however many there are, there might be 460 of them. Okay, so we need to figure out, all right, we gotta read that, we have to translate that from the language of nucleic acids into the language of proteins, which is amino acids, okay? And so we have two basic processes here, transcription and translation. Okay, an analogy, uh, did you, uh, you uh, I mean, there's lots of them, but um, you have successfully bid as a subcontractor on a, on a large building project. Uh, and you, you're just doing a little tiny part of it. That's, that's your job. And so you have to go to the, the major contractor to get the, the plan, the blueprints, the information you need to do your little part. Okay? Okay, so first of all, they're only going to give you your part. They're not going to tell you what anybody else is doing. Is this building is has some classified areas in it? There's going to to government building. There's going to be some classified areas. You don't need to know what everybody else is doing. You just need to know what you're doing. Okay, so you go and they 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 copy the the, the information that they have as to what they're going to do. They copy it onto another piece of paper or several, however many papers it is, and they give it to you to go work in a sealed envelope. Okay, you take it to where you're. Your office is, you open up the sealed envelope, and you realize that it's all been written in code. Okay, now fortunately, they've also supplied in there with it a code code so that you can decode what it tells you, so that you can translate from the coded information they gave you into the information that makes sense to you and your workers to actually build something. Okay, transcription is when I copy it from one place to another, transcribe. That's, that's what, you know the pictures the monks used to see sitting there? That's how books were, were made. Somebody sat down and hand copied a book. Or many people sat down and hand copied. That's how they, until the printing press was invented, that's how books got made. Needless to say, there were occasionally errors made uh, when you're doing that. I mean, imagine, a, you know, you know just a 50 or 60 page book, and you're copying it by hand, letter by letter be surprising if, there, if an error showed up in that somewhere. Um, okay, so that's the transcription. We transcribe, we write from one place to another place. And then the translation is taking that information and making use of it. Okay? Now, there is this thing called the central dogma of genetics, and actually it's quite outmoded now. And 
But when they first started to figure this stuff out, uh, I think it was Crick who had came up with this. And the, the, the idea was that information flowed one way. It flowed from DNA to RNA, and then from RNA to proteins. Done. Okay. Now, today we know that's not entirely true. Because there are enzymes out there that can take RNA and make DNA from it. In fact, we, we've borrowed them from some viruses that do that, and we use them in a lab. We can use them in the lab now. So, you know, to do, to do that sort of thing. But this was the central dog. DNA transcribed RNA, RNA translated to form polypeptides, or proteins. That's what, that was the, that's what was going on. All right, so this is basically, uh, this is a simplified version. Uh, this is DNA here. Okay, we're gonna transcribe this strand right here. The, the DNA information for a protein is always found on only one strand, not on both, just on one strand. Uh, yes, there are there, the enzyme that does this. There are markers on that strand to tell it where to go. Uh, we get into that in our phase lab class a little bit. Uh, what they exactly is a specific sequence of bases that the enzyme is looking for that says, "Aha, start, start here." Okay, uh, and when that's exposed, then it can just start to transcribe. When it's not supposed to be transcribing, that will usually be blocked by some inhibitor, so it can't. So in this case, pretty simplified here, we copied this strand. So there was a T here, they put an A, an A here, they put a U instead of a T, because we don't use T's in RNA. Remember that, because you will have a, on an exam where you're going to have to actually do some of this, and I always get people who put U's in their DNA. Uh, that's a no-no. Okay. Uh, anyhow, you go down this whole thing, and of course they've only done a few right here, so you can see the messenger RNA. Now, we go to the ribosome, and the ribosome translates that into these amino acids. We're gonna look at how it, how it does that. And it would continue on however long it had to be. And then that protein would be part of the phenotype of that organism. Okay? That's the basic idea. Central dogma, information flows one way. Now, I don't really like this diagram, but it's just too busy. But this is what comes with the text, so we'll, we'll walk our way through. All right, so the, how does this actually work? Well, there's an enzyme that's going to do this. When we made DNA, what is the name of the enzyme? DNA polymerase, right. Making polymers of DNA. All right, well, amazingly enough, the, the enzyme here is RNA polymerase, because we're making polymers of RNA instead. Uh, nothing cosmic about that. Uh, and so what it will do is when it's time for this gene right here, this, this little section to be translated, or transcribed, excuse me, uh, the RNA polymerase will attach itself to the DNA and then move along the DNA until it recognizes a start location. The start location is called the promoter. This is where the, this is a place where the enzyme can attach to the DNA and says, aha, this is where I'm supposed to start doing, doing my job. It's called the promoter. Okay? And then uh, the, the, the uh, polymerase will simply unzip the DNA and copy one of the strands. Okay? Now, I have another, let's look at the simple version of this. Uh, 
Last time, yeah. Okay. I guess uh, Firefox is willing to play nicely. Uh, Internet Explorer, everybody sucks as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't ever use it for anything. So, uh, I use either Firefox or since I use a Mac, I use Safari, which is closely related to Firefox. Uh, okay, so anyway, this is about transcription here. So th this is your double helix right here. It's not, uh, it's not wound around itself because that visually is so we'll look at what happens. So here comes my enzyme. This is the RNA polymerase. And this little area right here, this sequence, is, is what it is looking for. It's called the promoter. It, you'll notice that there's a TA, TA. And in fact, it's, if you read uh, from one direction, uh, you know, it's very similar to the other. The TA, TA, it's often referred to as the Tata box. It's what the RNA polymerase can recognize, and it was it will attach to the DNA right here. And then it will split the DNA, and then it will go along and it will pair with the correct nucleotide until it gets to a termination sequence, which it recognizes, and it says, "Ah, oh, okay, I'm done." It it drops off, and here's your messenger RNA that's been made. This is a really simple process. Now, the actual doing of it is a little, obviously, a lot more complex than this, but the basic idea is really quite simple, okay? So all we're going to do is find our promoter. Our enzyme is going to find the promoter, and then it's going to go along and put all of these in place, okay? And then, and then it's done. All right, now... Um, Here's uh, the more complicated version, but it's still uh, still limited to how it works. This looks a little bit familiar. Molecular biology, DNA makes RNA, makes protein. Here the process begins. 
Transcription factors assemble at a specific promoter region along the DNA. The length of DNA following the promoter is a gene, and it contains the recipe for a protein. A mediator protein complex arrives carrying the enzyme RNA polymerase. It maneuvers the RNA polymerase into place, inserting it with the help of other factors between the strands of the DNA double helix. The assembled collection of all these factors is referred to as the transcription initiation complex, and now it is ready to be activated. The initiation complex requires contact with activator proteins, which bind to specific sequences of DNA known as enhancer regions. These regions may be thousands of base pairs distant from the start of the gene. Contact between the activator proteins and the initiation complex releases the copying mechanism. The RNA polymerase unzips a small portion of the DNA helix, exposing the bases on each strand. Only one of the strands is copied. It acts as a template for the synthesis of an RNA molecule, which is assembled one subunit at a time by matching the DNA letter code on the template strand. The subunits can be seen here entering the enzyme through an intake hole, and they are joined together to form the long messenger RNA chain snaking out of the top. So that's basically what goes on. Okay. Uh, so, and, and of course, in uh, prokaryotic organisms, this is happening in the uh, cytoplasm. In eukaryotic organisms, this is happening inside the nucleus. Okay? But neither of them is right next to a ribosome, so that messenger RNA now needs to go find a ribosome, which of which there are many in the cell. Okay? There are many, many ribosomes, so it's not really a big problem. But this kind of shows you the process here. And one of the interesting things here, excuse me, showing you here, is that as soon as one RNA polymerase is attached here, started going down, which would be this one, this is the first one, another one attaches right behind it, another one right behind it, and each of these is making a messenger RNA. And they will keep doing that until something blocks that promoter to stop the process from happening. This does not happen in eukaryotes. This is only in prokaryotes that do this kind of thing. All right, so, the events then uh, are basically what we saw there, the transcription factors. Uh, in prokaryotic organisms, as soon as the messenger RNA is made, it's ready to be used. There's no further activity. But in eukaryotic organisms, it is not ready to be used. There is processing of the messenger RNA before it can leave the nucleus. Okay, And uh, the diagram here. And so, one of the interesting things, you may remember in the little video we looked at last time about the chromosome 11, they talked about introns and exons. I didn't explain them because well, they, they just didn't. Okay. It turns out that in eukaryotes, again, for reasons nobody understands, our genes are broken up into bits. Introns are non-coding regions. They're called intervening sequences. That's where the word intron came from. 
And the green areas you see here are the exons. These carry coding information. And so before I can use this, I need to take these and cut them out. There are, there's a type of enzyme in here that recognizes the ends, cuts those out, and splices the parts that are actually going to be used, splices them back together. We don't understand why this happens. It does happen, it's been verified, but why we have our genes like this is really not entirely understood. Okay? Now, once you've done that, now you need to put uh, a, on one end of it a, 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 a little cap, and on the other end you put a whole bunch of adenines, and then it's ready to go out through one of the nuclear pores. So in eukaryotic organisms, so like our proteins or our fungal uh, microbes, they have to go through this process. Okay, all eukaryotic organisms do this. Again, not clear why that is, but very clear that it does happen. Okay, okay so those leave the nucleus, and then we're ready to try translation. Okay. Now, translation is, again, not overly complex in its basics. The way it actually happens, perhaps a little more complex. But, okay. but what translation is, is how we take the information that was on the messenger RNA and we actually use that information to build a protein. That's translation. Now, to do that, I have to have a genetic code. I need to know what those letters, U, A's, U's, C's, I need to know what they stand for. And it, uh, it took quite a while to work this out. Uh, we have approximately 20 amino acids that we need to account for. All right, so they, they started with the logical approach. If I take one base at a time, A means one thing, and U means one thing, and G means one thing, and C makes, means one thing, how many different amino acids can I code for by doing it that way? Each letter stands for a single amino acid. How many letters do I have? We have four. We have four letters, A, U, C, and G. If each of those stands for a single amino acid, I can only code for four amino acids. Clearly, this is not sufficient. There's 20 amino acids. So the next thing they did, they said, well, what if I took them two at a time? that AA meant something, and AC meant something, and AU meant something, and AG, and then you know, went through all the permutations of that. And you, you math folks will you know, understand how to do that. Uh, what you end up with, though, is you, you're taking two things two at a time. Okay, or excuse me, four things two at a time. Uh, and when you multiply that out, you end up with 16 possible combinations. Two to the fourth power. Times two is four, times two is eight, times two is sixteen. Okay. We got twenty amino acids. It's still not good enough. So then I said, all right, let's go back to the drawing boards. Let's try it with three at a time. Turns out that was the answer. But it also means that our code is what we would call redundant. Or uh, there are some other names used, but 
but it means that some three-letter combinations will code for the same amino acid. Now, it, it turns out that every combination means something. Even though I only needed 20 or 22 of them, all 64, which is how many you get with this, they all mean something. So that means that when I, no matter what code I end up seeing, I'm going to put some amino acid there. You know, I'm not going to say, I don't know what to do, stop, uh, and, and that's clearly not going to work. Okay. So they put amino acid in. And so this is, the, this is one chart that uh, you, one way it's charted. This is your first base over here, and then you find the second one up here, and then the third one over here. So if I had uh, a, a UGC, I would look for U here. I go across to G. C, UGC, that's the amino acid cysteine. Okay, and you can do that with every possible three letter combination. Yes? If, um, if H1 has to be removed before making mRNA, how do we get back into the DNA? Oh, well, we just copied them. We didn't take them out of the DNA. Oh, okay. We just copied them onto the messenger RNA. Oh, okay. So uh, after they're removed, they'll probably be broken down and, and uh, recycled. Now, uh, like any alphabet, they need to have a few punctuation marks, okay? I don't know if you've ever read something that somebody put down, uh, and in fact, some, there's some very old languages. Uh, no capital letters, no punctuation marks. It just goes on and on. Very difficult to read, okay? We're very used to having punctuation, you know, and capital letters and all that. You know, we don't do the punctuation right all the time, but, but we understand that is important. Yeah, it, it makes a difference. All right. So we have a start code. Now, AUG, this is on the messenger RNA, not the DNA, is, to, is the consensus start code. So when we get to the ribosome and the ribosome looks to where do I start translating this thing, it will go along the messenger RNA until it finds an AUG, and then it starts translating. Now, the reality is, and you get into the viruses, there are, there's another start code that viruses also use, but uh, bacteria, not really so much. It's AUG. And then we have three stop codes, although this one can also code for a very rare amino acid uh, in, some, in some cases. Okay. Uh, and so when the, mess, when the ribosome gets to the stop code, stops. So, okay, done. Releases. Your protein's released. That ribosome can go back to this again. Ribosomes are reusable, so they, they can do this again. Now, the way they, um, oh, and also there's another uh, one down there, 22nd amino acid in some prokaryotes. Uh, uh, pyrolysine, uh, which one codes for? Where's the little asterisk? What they started with is they made, um, they just made messenger RNA that was all used. They put an AUG at the beginning and then uh, all used, and they said, all right, what am I going to get? And they, what they got was the same amino acid every time, okay? And they said, all right, so that tells us that you, you, you means this amino acid. 
Okay, and then they did that with all A's, and they did it with all C's, and they did it with all G's, and that constituted four of the amino acids. And then they had to get a little more complicated as to how, and eventually, though, they determined that this, these are, this is the code. This is relatively, this is a universal code. All living things that we know of use this code. It doesn't matter whether they're fungi or us or viruses or all using this same basic code. So it's one of those things Uh, so obviously it's uh, it's important and it uh, tells us, well, it depends on if you're a biologist, what it says is that organisms, all organisms somewhere back in time have had a common ancestor probably. Uh, we're all doing the same thing. Or, you know, we're not gonna, we, didn't re we didn't all reinvent the wheel and end up with the same wheel. That's not very likely. Okay. All right, so th that's your genetic code. You'll see this displayed in other ways. I've seen it displayed in a wheel formation. It doesn't really matter how it's displayed. You can figure it. It's pretty easy to figure out. All right, so I get the translation. Who, who are the players that I have to have? Well, I have to have, clearly, messenger RNA. No messenger RNA, nothing to do. Okay. I'm going to skip down to ribosomes. Ribosomes are where this happens. Everybody comes to the ribosome and things attach there, and they move through there, and that's where it all happens. I have to have ribosomes. Ribosomes are made out of a combination of protein and ribosomal RNA, another type of RNA. And those are what ribosomes are constructed from. Uh, every living thing has ribosomes. Remember, that's the one organelle that bacteria have, prokaryotes have, because everybody's got to make proteins somehow. Okay, and then we have transfer RNA or tRNA. As in the ribosome, as I present the three-letter code, I have to have some little tool that goes and gets the right amino acid and brings it to that spot. Okay? And if something's got to do that. They're not just wandering around and just going to find their way there. That would take too long. We have transfer RNAs. It turns out there are 64 different transfer RNAs, one for each of the possible codes. And each one is knows which amino acid that that code is for, and it grabs those amino acids. And then when its code comes up, we call these codons, the three-letter blocks. When that comes up, it will zoom in there and match it. And it, and it does it by having what we call an anti-codon. So if my codon was AUG for the start code, okay, I would have one that had UAC. The U would match with A. A would match with the U, the C would match with the G, and on the tail of it would be fixed a methionine amino acid. And it would go in there and put that amino acid at that spot. Okay, then the next codon gets read. Whatever it is, there's a transfer RNA that's unique to that. It will bring the appropriate amino acid, stick it right there. And then we can combine the amino acids. And I've got some videos, so we'll, we'll look at that. Okay. Uh, it's really quite simple. It happens fast, but it's really a very simple process. But I have to have these three things. Messenger RNA, transfer RNA, and ribosomal RNA. I've got to have three different kinds of RNA. All RNA is made by the process of transcription. Okay? Transcription is copying DNA and making RNA from it. So transfer RNA molecules are made from the 
genes in the DNA. Ribosomal RNA is made from genes in the DNA. And that's how that works. Okay, so um, sometimes uh, messenger RNA can code for more than one polypeptide. And remember, one of the things I said is that it was unique to uh, prokaryotes is that they may often have two, three to five genes in a block, and they will transcribe the entire block as a group. Usually they're enzymes that are related to some single process in metabolism. And, and so the messenger RNA attaches here. It goes along. Here's your AUG. Then it comes to a stop code, and then there's another AUG and a stop code, another AUG and a stop code. And so you would be transcribing or translating all three of these genes at the same time. Seems like a kind of very efficient system. Uh, for example, we'll look at one of the control sequences for this later, probably next time. E. coli, it's, and, and for many bacteria, their favorite carbohydrate is glucose. Well, we're pretty fond of glucose, too. It's sweet, you know, and all that. I'll eat more glucose than you know, that's, you know, life is short, you deserve first. Okay? Uh, you don't know what might happen before dessert comes. Right. But anyway, any um, so they, what they will do is they have uh, a, a gene set in there, it's three different genes, that allows them to break down and utilize lactose instead of glucose. But as long as glucose is present, they don't use that. They don't care. They're not even interested. But if there's a lot of lactose and not very much glucose, then they'll activate that sequence. They'll transcribe all three genes. And what those three enzymes will do is modify the lactose in order to bring it into the cell and begin the process of breaking it down and putting it into glycolysis. Okay. Uh, and so having all three enzymes produced at the same time makes a great deal of sense. Eukaryotes don't ever do that for whatever reason. Yes. Could be, there are three of them that could be there. These are the more common ones. So that's why they did it that way, so you can see that more than one was used. Okay. So, like any process, there are three stages, and you could do this with transcription too. There's initiation, elongation, termination. We're not going to get into all that uh, as far as by stage so much. Um, but generally, they require additional proteins and so on to make them work. All right, so here's, uh, this is a diagram, very diagrammatical here. So here is my messenger RNA. Ribosomes come in two parts. I don't know if you remember those from last semester. There's a big subunit, a small subunit, uh, and they are not normally together. Okay. The small subunit will find the AUG right here and attached to the messenger RNA. And when it does that, my first transfer RNA will now be able to come and attach here. So the U matches with the A. Remember the pairing, base pairing rules. A matches with U, C matches with G, and it'll sit down right there. And right over here, it's going to hold the methionine. Okay, the F on it means it's a specific type of methionine called formal. 
Alright, once that has happened, the large subunit comes in and sits down and connects with the rest of that. And you'll see that there are three slots here. E, the B, and the A slot. Now what will happen is, at this point, I have only one amino acid. Alright? Now this, this was three U's right here. Here's a transfer RNA that has three A's on it, which match up with the U's. And it turns out that U, U, U codes for phenylalanine. So it brings it in here and sits down right here. And then the ribosome catalyzes the peptide bond between the two. All right, once I've done that, the whole ribosome slides down one slot. This guy is done. He's delivered. He doesn't have his amino acid anymore, he's ejected. Goes back and gets another thionine. And then we have moved the next three-letter code into this slot. Here comes the uh, transfer RNA, matches these, it sits down here, the ribosome binds the threonine and the phenylalanine, the thing slides down one more thing, this one's kicked out, a new one comes in, and we just keep doing that until we get to a stop. Okay, now um, let me show you this, and then I think that would probably be pretty much it. How fast does that move? Second question? Um, in uh, many cells, uh, they can make thousands of molecules per second. It all happens very, very fast. Now, part of that is because everything's so tiny. We can't imagine what it's like on a molecular level. Everything's right there. Everything's close. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's beyond our really our comprehension of what that would be like in there. Uh, but, but they can measure the speed of these. And depending on circumstances, they can be thousands of molecules per second. Make them very quickly. Particularly bacteria do because they need to be responsive to their environment very, very quickly. Because they're single cells. All right. So let me... Uh, So this is the simple version. All right, so here's my messenger RNA. See a bunch of nucleotides here. Okay, so the first thing that happens is that the small subunit finds that AUG. We don't start until we find the AUG. If there's no AUG, then we don't know what to do. But if it's a gene, there will be. All right, next comes the first transfer RNA. See the bases match. They're complementary to each other. It carries its methionine with it. Then the large subunit sits down with it. And now comes the next one. Bases match up. And now we're going to connect the methionine and the lysine. And now the ribosome will slide down one plot that one out because it's not needed anymore. And then the next one, these all be A's, three A's, that's phenylalanine. We attach those together, slide down one, pick it out, 
next one in. Okay, this is lysine. We attach those together, slide down, one out, bring in the next one. Now, this happens, UAA, if you look on the code chart, is a stop code. Just to keep this simple, they, they made it very short. Uh, that's a stop code. And so this releasing factor is what the RF stands for, joins there, and that tells the ribosome to come apart and release everything, and we're done. And so uh, when we do that, uh, everything goes off on its own. The ribosome comes apart, this transfer RNA leaves, here's my little mini protein I made. And now, one of the things that can happen in uh, Prokaryotic organisms is that they can have multiple messenger RNAs working on the same, excuse me, multiple ribosomes working on the same messenger RNA at the same time. And so these are all messenger RNAs going along this, and here are the polypeptides coming out. Uh, the ones at this end are longer, the ones down here are shorter. And they just follow one right after the other down the messenger RNA. Eukaryotes don't do that. Right, let me get this one. And this is the more complex one. With a nice narration on The job of this mRNA is to carry the gene's message from the DNA out of the nucleus to a ribosome for production of the particular protein that this gene codes for. There can be several million ribosomes in a typical eukaryotic cell. These complex catalytic machines use the mRNA copy of the genetic information to assemble amino acid building blocks into the three-dimensional proteins that are essential for life. Let's see how it works. The ribosome is composed of one large and one small subunit that assemble around the messenger RNA, which then passes through the ribosome like a computer tape. In amino acid building blocks, that's the small glowing red molecules, are carried into the ribosome attached to specific transfer RNAs. That's the larger green molecules also referred to as tRNA. The small subunit of the ribosome positions the mRNA so that it can be read in groups of three letters known as a codon. Each codon on the mRNA matches a corresponding anticodon on the base of a transfer RNA molecule. The larger subunit of the ribosome removes each amino acid and joins it onto the glowing protein chain. As the mRNA is ratcheted through the ribosome, the mRNA sequence is translated into an amino acid sequence. There are three locations inside the ribosome, designated the A site, the P site, and the E site. 
The addition of each amino acid is a three-step cycle. First, the tRNA enters the ribosome at the A site and is tested for a codon-anticodon match with the mRNA. Next, provided there is a correct match, the tRNA is shifted to the P site and the amino acid it carries is added to the end of the amino acid chain. The mRNA is also ratcheted on three nucleotides or one codon. Thirdly, the spent tRNA is moved to the E site and then ejected from the ribosome to be recycled. As the protein synthesis proceeds, the finished chain emerges from the ribosome. It folds up into a precise shape determined by the exact order of amino acids. It's a bit of a simplification. Thus, the central okay. dogma explains how the four-letter DNA code is, quite literally, turned into flesh and blood. All right, so that's the basic process with translation. Um, there's... Uh, there are, as I said, there are differences in eukaryotes. Uh, in eukaryotes, we put some guanine on the front of the, uh, of the messenger RNA, and that's what our ribosomes recognize to get started. Um, we use methionine instead of formal methionine. It's our first, you know, it's still the same basic amino acid. Um, and sometimes your ribosomes will synthesize proteins that go into the endoplasmic reticulum, and then they're packaged in the vesicles to be sent somewhere else in the cell. Uh, obviously, prokaryotes don't have such things, so they would not do that. Okay. So here's a uh, kind of a comparison here of the, uh, the three processes that you can look at. Okay, is that making some sense? Okay, so what do we cover here in this that doesn't make any sense to you? Tell me what where you're lost. Or does it all make sense now and then by tomorrow morning we'll say, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I mean, I, I know that happens. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, on the slide that has single prokaryotic mRNA encode for several polypeptides. So, like. This one? Um, or is it part of that? Part of that. That one? Uh, yeah. Okay. Ribosome the three spots that just puts three there at the same time? No, there's one ribosome in it, well, and then there'll be another one following it, but it just goes down and, and, and makes the first amino acid or the first protein that goes right on to the next gene, makes the second one, and then goes right on to the third one, and makes the third one, and then another ribosome will follow behind it and make all two. So the ribosome, the stop does not cause it to actually stop the process, it continues on past that right to the AUG, because there's another ribosome binding site right here. And so as soon as this happens, the ribosome stays right bound to the messenger RNA and continues on that. Okay, so in eukaryotes, how is it different? At the end of that, would, it be, would the ribosome be We would not have multiple genes on a single messenger RNA. Okay. We don't, uh, eukaryotes don't do that for, again, reasons that we we really don't know why some of these differences occur. Uh, we might find out someday. Uh, that's part of what research is about, trying to figure these things out. But, 
So just imagine right now, inside of you, every one of yourselves is busy doing all this stuff. Every minute of every day. That's how they stay alive. It's quite quite an assembly process that's that's occurring. Uh, I'm not going to get into uh, regulation of genes tonight. We'll we'll do that next next time. Uh, I wanted to point out to you, though, before you go, well, of course, I'll see you all in my I have put a couple of assignments on Blackboard. Some of you have obviously seen them already, but let me just point them out to you so you know about them. The reason I want to just point these out, um, these both of these are on a, a website from the University of Arizona. And what you're going to look at is that when you get there, you're going to see some problem sets. When you do the problem, it'll have a multiple choice answer. You select what you think is the correct answer, and then you submit it, and it'll tell you whether you were right or wrong. If you were wrong, it will take you to a little tutorial about what you just got wrong, and then you can go back and do the question again. So this is a kind of self-grading thing. Now, what I want you to turn in from each of these is just the question for each set. Give me the name of the set, the question numbers, your first answer, whatever whatever it was, just the letter of it. You don't have to write it all out. And then the correct answer if that was different. Okay? Uh, And there's one on metabolism because we're with our next exam, which is going to be that far away now. Uh, is going to be on metabolism and genetics. So this is a way to help you understand about energy and enzymes and then metabolism. Uh, now here, make sure you do only those problems. Don't do all the others, because some, some of those are the stuff that we don't even want to deal with. And then there's a molecular genetics part. Uh, this is the site we just looked at. Then you go to the nucleic acid problem set and do those. And then I have one other thing here called the Blackett family DNA activity. You get to actually uh, look at uh, some DNA fingerprinting and figure out who's who in which family. Uh, and all this is on the same website. It's all on uh, the, uh, and, and most of these, uh, as you do some of these, for instance, where I just kind of, uh, Can you just turn this down and then turn it in? Or you can email it to me if you want. Either way, I'm, I'm okay with that. But for instance, uh, here they have um, so here's some information they they give you. Here's this is a very simplified profile, but they tell you that um, okay, uh, they're reconstructing the profile of a missing person by looking at the close relative. So a mother of four children is missing, uh, and so uh, all they all have the same father, and so from this. Can you uh, tell me, uh, would you be able to tell me uh, which alleles came from the mother? Okay, now they didn't, they forgot to label the father on the thing here. Uh, That's on purpose for the exercise. 
but you can figure that out when you look at it. Um, and then you're going to say, uh, you know, just, you know, which one of these? So if your answer is A, or A or B, so I'll just pick A and B, just like that, and it'll give you a tutorial and say, okay, you need to, and then you can go back to the, the problem and do it again. Now, so obviously you're going to get, I mean, one way you can do these is just keep clicking on answers until you get the right one. You're going to learn a lot that way. Uh, and hopefully you will actually learn something from doing this. That would be the goal, right? Okay, so just wanted to point those out. So, you know, uh, just give me uh, the problem set, the number of the question, what the answer, you know, the, the letter of the answer. First, the first one you put down. And then if that was wrong, then you give me the right one after you've had a chance to go back and look at it. If you got it right the first time, that's all I need to see. You go on to the next question. These should not take you all that long to do. Now, the, the due date for these uh, is listed on here. Okay, let me go back. Can you go back? Okay. They're, they're due on February 23rd, so you have some time. Today's the 10th, so you've got almost two weeks. We'll probably be having an exam on this Though, before the 23rd. All right. Uh, let's see you in lab in a little bit. Go ahead. Get on with that.